0: God, that we would prepare our hearts even now, even myself, Lord, to hear something from you this morning. And dear God, I pray that you would be glorified with the response, glorified with the message. And Lord, that you would be lifted up, that you put me behind the cross, God, that you would get the glory and honor from today. Pray these things in your precious name. Amen.
1: And I know he cares for
0: blessing Miss Bev I'm sitting there preaching to myself just listening to that song that's a good song and if his eyes on the sparrow and if he cares for the sparrow how much more does he care for you we we look at songs like that and we start to think about that thanks brother max and it can be fearful when we think about that if his eyes on the sparrow how much more is he watching you And we can think about that side of it, but man, if we're walking with the Lord, how special of a thing that is. And I sing because I'm happy, because I'm free. Oh, that's a blessing. That's a blessing. Um, This morning, uh, Brother Scott, the the title of the message is Applying the Applied. Um, Pastor always has two titles, so I'm going to do (laughs) two-two. And I just said two-two over the pulpit. Uh, Baloney is the second title, baloney. <laughs> I do love this time of year. We were thinking about taking the Christmas stuff down, but I wanted it up. I, I like it. Uh, I love this time of year. I love I love the stark contrast from going into Walmart in October and, and seeing the death and despair and destruction and all that stuff, and then all of a sudden, in the blinkly, you know, twinkling of an eye, it, it is twinkle lights everywhere, and just happiness and joy, and I love it. It's my favorite thing. I'm all about it. So this year, um, during, of course, Black Friday, it's, it's the time to go get stuff. Um, I didn't go get stuff, but you do the shopping online. So I, I saw a deal for a hoverboard. I, I, Quinn has pointed them out. And he's wanted a hoverboard. If you don't know what a hoverboard is, it, it is two wheels, a wheel here and a wheel here and a board between them. And it's got a little motor in it. And if you lean forward on your toes, you go forward. If you lean on your heels, you go back. If you do either too far, you fall down. Okay, So if you, if you lean on your right leg, it'll turn to the right. If you lean on your left, you'll turn to the left. And so I'm telling Becca about this hoverboard. There's a good deal. They're way cheaper than they normally are, and Quinn wants one, and her response was absolutely not because of the falling down part. And then you've got to deal with the falling down part. So I said, okay, I won't get him one. So I went shopping with my mom for the kids, <laughs> and on the end cap was hoverboards for the same price. And I was like, that's a really good deal. Quinn really wanted one, but Becca said, I couldn't get her one, couldn't get get him one. So mom says, I got you, and she bought it. And she can't, I told her, I told her, this was not a, yeah, she, she didn't walk into this blindly, she made this decision. She has to live with the consequences. But no, he actually, he got on it and he picked it up really well. He loves the thing. My mom just knocked it out of the park with, Ellie got a bike from her and, and this hoverboard for Quinn and, and they're loving it. My baseboards don't. He is, they're just shattered. Um, but uh, Quinn is riding around on that hoverboard and, and it's to the point now where Becca texted me on Friday. I was here at the church studying and she sent me a picture of him and he goes, I think this is just his identity now. She goes, I don't think he'll ever walk again. (laughs) And so then in my mind, I'm going, okay, my son identifies as a motor vehicle. We're just (laughs) going to have to deal with this. And then I thought, well, do I have to get him registered? Because that's not in the budget, Brother Fiavi. It's not in the budget. (laughs) But I love Christmas. I love it. Um, It was eight Christmases ago. Quinn was in the hospital in an incubator because he was born three months premature, and so our first, first Christmas was with him was in the hospital. We had a little tree up there and just went and spent some time with him. And the year after that, so seven years ago, I think it was, is uh, it was just a couple days before Christmas, my grandma passed away. And Quinn was a year old, but uh, when she passed away, it didn't take us off guard. Uh, you know, she, she was in a home, she was declining, had been for a little while, Um, You know, she wasn't going to be home for Christmas by any means. It didn't take us off guard, but it still was hard, of course. But I remember praying at Christmas dinner when the family all came over that year. And I remember praying, Lord, help us to take advantage of the time that we have with each other. Because one thing's for certain, it won't always be this way. It just won't. And we know it for certain. It will not, it will not always be this way. And so you start to think about the things that we know. We know for certain we will not always have or it will not always be that way. I mean, we can think that way with our spouse, with our marriage, with our church family, with our family, with so many, our jobs, work, all that stuff. We can can take for granted the things that we know absolutely for sure that it will not always be that way. But then you start to think, well, how much easier then would it be for us to take for granted the things that we know will always be there? John 3.16 is probably the first verse that I ever memorized. How many of you probably say that's probably the first verse you ever memorized? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And when I first memorized that verse, I remember it meant something and had a different profound effect in my life because salvation was nearer to me. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, but not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. Probably the second verses I ever memorized. But you look at verses like that, that you've memorized... And that you've applied to your life. How much easier is it for us to take for granted the things that we know we'll always have? Yeah. Sure. Ephesians two, eight, and nine was probably the second second verses, I'm guessing I don't have a list of the verses in order in which I learned them. If you do, you're weird. And if you're offended, we can talk after the service. But rightfully so. I mean, these are important verses in in the Bible. They are are important verses about salvation. And here's a side note. When did scripture memorization become a patch and peewee thing? When When did it become Brother Dave and Miss Tina's class? And Miss Megan's class? And Miss Tina's class? When did it become for our kids and not us? We will help our kids memorize a verse and we won't memorize it ourselves. Man, we ought to be memorizing scripture. If you're looking for a goal for 2024, memorize some verses. Memorize some scripture. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Man, memorize a verse a week, a verse a month. Put it on the fridge. Put it on your computer, your work desk, in your vehicle. Say, well, what if someone sees it? Yeah, what if someone does? That's a good thing. But we can know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and we look at those verses and we can know them solely as verses for for those who believe that works can get them to heaven. And what we tend to do is we take those verses throughout the Bible that we've applied to our lives and we make them applicable to everybody else but us anymore. We stop applying them. We don't apply them anymore because we've already applied them. Now, this verse, these verses, they are not written to the lost. They are not written to the lost. Now there's application to the lost. And we're going to take a couple minutes and apply it. Because this is how we normally apply these verses. And then we're going to apply it to who Paul Roxy wrote it to. But of course these verses apply to the lost. You are saved by grace through faith. That's right. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves... It is the gift of God. If you're not saved here this morning, if you're trusting in anything else but the finished work of Jesus Christ, you're not saved. You don't have it. It's not of works of righteousness that we have done. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. If you're trusting in religion, if you're trusting in baptism, if you're trusting in the good outweighing the bad. That's a popular thing. And that's what we would normally point to these verses and say it's not the way it works. The good will never outweigh the bad. If if that's what you're hoping for, if you're hoping to stand before God one day and he puts all the good things that you did on one side of a scale and the bad things that you did on the other side of the scale and you're hoping that you're going to sit there and just go, "Mm, I think, I think I made it. It's not the way it works. The Bible says that all of our righteousness, all of our works, all the things that we can do to try to clean ourselves up is as filthy rags to God. And so that's like standing before God one day after you die and he says there is sin on your account. How do you account for it? And you stand before him with dirty rags that you tried to clean all of your sin up with and you offer those to God. He's going to say the thing that the Bible says he's going to say, he's going to say depart from me for I never knew you. The Bible says, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Man, you ought to be excited about hearing about salvation. Because that's one of those things too that we can start to check off and that no longer applies to us. And we can no longer be excited about the salvation that we have. Because we know we'll always have it. But when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me, he meant that the work has already been done. You can't work your way there because he's already done it. He's already worked. He's already done everything that he possibly can, and he did it on the cross for you. Man, we don't like things handed to us. Just as a culture, we don't like things handed to us. Well, let let me work for that. Let me pay you back for that. You can't. When it comes to salvation, you can't. There's a story of an, of an old time, like one of those tent revival meetings. How cool would it have been to go to one of those? One of those old tent revival meetings and, and the, the revival meeting had ended and, and a man had traveled from really far away to get to one of these revival meetings and he runs up and he is, he is actively seeking God and he comes up and that revival meeting's over and he asks one of the workers that's tearing down the tents, what can I do to be saved? And the worker said, you're too late. You're too late. You can't do anything. Work's already been done. And then they explained the gospel to him. There's a currency for sin. There's a currency for sin. And it's not something that you can pay for yourself. It's not money. It's death. It's not works, it's death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The payment for your sin is death. I take that back. You can pay for it yourself. You can. The Bible says hell is called the second death. It was not made for you, but hell is called the second death. But he died that death. He paid that payment. That penalty is gone if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. He paid the payment for you in the right currency. You say, why did Jesus have to die? He died because that's the payment for sin. He had to die. And then one day when you stand before God, instead of offering up all of these filthy rags that you've tried to clean yourself up with, and God says, hey... How, you have sin on your account. How do you account for this sin? You're going to say, God, it's kind of like the Starbucks line. You probably won't say that. You probably shouldn't say that. You ever been in Starbucks and you order a drink and probably because like Brother Fiavi, you haven't budgeted <laughs> enough. And for Starbucks, you really can't budget enough anyway. Uh, you need to make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year just to eat, drink at Starbucks, it seems like. But you get to Starbucks and you get your $12 drink and you get up to the window and you hand them your money. You say, no, the person in front of you paid for you. It's free. It's free. So when you stand before God one day, you won't say anything about Starbucks. But when he says, hey, there is sin on your account. How do you account for your sin? See, I can't account for it at all. Someone else paid it for me. It's not something I can pay for. Jesus paid the debt that I couldn't pay. I love this thought. That in that moment, God will look at you and no longer see your sin. He will see his son. And it is a gift. It is a gift. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves... It's the gift. It's the gift of God. It was a couple weeks ago. A couple weeks ago, we were getting ready for the candlelight service. And Brother Nate said, I want you all to wear a black suit, white shirt, red tie. And there was two of us that said, hey, we don't have black suits. What do you want us to do? And Brother Nate was nice. He didn't say, go buy black suits. He said, just wear something dark, darkest suit you have, white shirt, red tie. Monday morning, I come into the office, and I'm sitting there working. Someone comes to the church, hands me a handful of money. Says, there were two of you that didn't have suits. I want you to go buy suits. I want you to go buy suits. And my initial reaction, of course, was, number one, do you know how much suits cost? (laughs) And number two, it's too much. It's too much. I can't accept that. Their reaction was God blessed me. So I'm going to do what he wants me to do. Amen. Accepting a gift can be hard when the gift is so big. Makes you pr- feel pretty undeserved of it. I didn't deserve a suit, and salvation's far bigger than a suit. Salvation is a gift. But the first thing you got to realize is that you are undeserving of it. Amen. And if you're not saved here today, or you are saved here today, you are not deserving of that gift. That's right. yeah. That gift is offered just as any gift would be. But the gift isn't forced. You didn't force anybody to take anything from you this Christmas, did you? You gave it. And those gifts were accepted. This morning, if you're not saved... You need to be saved. You need to get saved. Not because I said so, but when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he said, Marvel not that I said unto you, you must, you must, you must be born again. You must. If you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Getting saved is the best thing I have ever done. I was eight years old when I got saved. I had no idea the repercussions of what that decision made. I was eight years old, and what I understood is that I was a sinner before a holy God, and I had sin that I could not pay for myself. And Jesus died on the cross and paid the payment for that sin for me. I was eight. I was eight years old when I made the most important decision I've ever made in my entire life. It's the most wonderful decision I've ever made in my entire life. Brother Sharp preached on Wednesday that, why me? Why me? Why did God choose me? Well, he chose everybody. He chose everybody. But the Bible says, whosoever will, whosoever will may come. And I was willing. I was willing to accept that gift, accepting what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me. Man, once you get saved, it is the most wonderful thing that you will ever do in your life. The Holy Spirit of God, like we talked about this morning in Sunday school, if you were here, comes and dwells inside you. Your body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you understand that? God dwells inside of you. God dwells inside of you. The Holy Spirit of God dwells inside of you. And if you will let him, he will guide you and lead you and direct you throughout your life. You have a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. You are never alone. You have a comforter. It's amazing what we have being saved. You have access to God. You have access to the God of the universe. And sin is a separator. Sin will separate fellowship with God. And if you allow it, if you don't accept that gift that he has given you, it will separate you from an eternity with God. Man, I'm saved. I have a relationship with the God of the universe. I was praying with the ladies this morning. I'm saying his mercies are new every morning to me. I benefit from his benefits every single day of my life. His blessings are everywhere in my life. Getting saved is the most wonderful thing you will ever do. If you're not saved here this morning, get saved. It's the most wonderful thing. So in those verses, there's application to the lost, isn't there? There's application to the lost. But Paul's talking to the saved. Paul's talking to the saved. And he's not telling them how to be saved. He's telling them how they were saved. He's talking, like we said in chapter 1 and verse 1, he's talking to the saints that are at Ephesus, the faithful in Christ. He's saying you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. He starts off verse 2 saying, And you hath he quickened, you were dead, but now you're alive. He says, By grace you're saved through faith. And he gets to verse 8 and 9, he says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we, the saved, are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. When we make these verses present tense to the lost and past tense about us, it causes us to get less interested. We tend to get less interested in the things that don't apply to us anymore. When I worked heating and air conditioning, Becca asked what she thought was a good question. How does an air conditioner work? So I, in 18 years of experience, tell her how an air conditioner works. And see, an air conditioner, It doesn't actually put cold air in the house. It takes heat out of the house. And when we go, we we measure the refrigerant, and we hook up our gauges, and we're not doing like an empty full gauge because that's not how refrigerant works. You've got to measure temperatures and pressures. And you measure those temperatures and pressures in a thing that's called superheat and subcool. Superheat is the amount of heat added to a substance after its saturation point. (laughs) And I look over at Becca, and her eyes are crossed. We get pretty not interested in things that don't apply to us. Which by its very definitions means we start to take for granted those things. And we can very easily start to take for granted the word of God. When we take for granted the word of God, our interest in it fades. And you remember when you first got saved and that fire that you had to read your Bible? You remember that? The fire that you had to read your Bible, to get into your Bible. Man, nobody puts that fire out but you. How do you keep a fire going? Add more logs to it. You say, nuh-uh, someone can put it out. It's because you let them. It's because you let them. But we can get pretty uh, disinterested in the Bible. And, And I'll tell you this. The Bible isn't getting less Interesting. It's just that you're getting less interested in the Bible. Your interest in the Bible is just getting less. We talked about memorizing scripture, and there is a lot of scripture in the Bible that we should have memorized. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 is a good one. For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and the morrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God is still sharp. If you're going to get offended, plug your ears. Okay, then you can't get offended. You're just dull. You're just dull. Say, Brother Adam called me dull. I want you to be sharp. Iron sharpeneth iron. But why would Paul be telling these people who are already saved how they got saved? Because we can take it for granted. We can take it for granted. So with this little bit of time that we have left... We're going to make some application to those of us that are still saved. Some application to those verses that I have quoted thousands of times to everybody else. Because I've been guilty of that too, where I've stopped quoting them to me. If you know these verses, say them with me Ephesians 2 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. We know those verses. We know those verses. So the first application I'm going to tell you about is is there's a price for grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. Number one, there's a price for grace. When we read these verses, that's something that should pop out to us. There's a price for grace. And grace only existed. Think about that. Grace only exists because a wrong was committed. That's the only reason for grace. When we tell you to have grace with that brother, it's because there's a wrong or a perceived wrong. Grace only exists because a wrong was there. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. In in Ephesians chapter 2, it tells us what we were in times past, fulfilling the desires of our mind, the lust of our flesh, all of those things. But then he says, but God who is rich in mercy. Because we deserved to stay dead in our trespasses and sins. We did not deserve to be made alive to God. We don't deserve to have fellowship with him. We deserve something far worse. But his mercy. His mercy and his great love wherewith he loved us. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Grace is getting what we didn't deserve. Grace is getting what we didn't deserve. I was thinking it was... It was Sunday morning last week and pastor was was talking about that manger and when he was preaching about that manger and he was talking about what it is and it, it's a trough is basically what it is and the son the Son of God, a living God was placed in a trough he didn't deserve that he didn't deserve that but there's a price for grace and then you start to think there was uh, Jesus as he taught in the synagogues later on and, and there was scribes and Pharisees that tried to trip him up in his words when he was trying to offer people eternal life he didn't deserve that right. but there's a price for grace how about that he was betrayed by one of his own someone he loved with a kiss he didn't deserve that But there's a price for grace. You think about Peter when he denied him three times and on that third time he vehemently denied him. He he cursed his name. I don't know him. He didn't deserve that. But there's a price for grace. What about when the people chose the murderer Barabbas over him? The son of God. He didn't deserve that. But there's a price for grace. Grace. Think about Isaiah chapter 53. If you're looking to memorize a chapter in the Bible, that's the one to start with. Isaiah 53 says, with his stripes we are healed. You think about when they whipped his back and cut him open and broke his body. With those stripes we are healed, but those stripes are real. Those stripes were his flesh that was split open. He didn't deserve that. He did not deserve that. But there's a price for grace. What about when they pulled out his beard and spit on my Savior? He didn't deserve that. But there is a price for grace. Or when they shoved that crown of thorns, and those are not little thorns, those are big thorns, and they shoved them down into his skull and mocked him as king of the Jews. He didn't deserve that. But there's a price for grace when they nailed him to a cross and they put those nails through his hands and through his feet. He didn't deserve that. But there is a price for grace. When he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They didn't deserve that. They didn't deserve that. I get so angry reading this portion of scripture at the ones who crucified my Savior. But he wasn't up there because those soldiers put him there. He was there because I put him there. He was there because you put him there. No, get it, there is a price for grace. You deserved what he didn't deserve. You deserved. I deserved what he didn't deserve. And we're saved by grace. There's a price for that grace. It cost him everything. Cost us nothing. That grace took everything and gave us everything. What happens when we forget that price? What happens when we forget the price? When we stop applying that price to ourselves, it's discontentment. Discontentment. And I've lost interest in my Bible, in my, in my praying, in, in the Christian walk. Not content in who I am as a Christian. I can guarantee you, you're not counting the cost of grace like you ought to. You're not counting the cost of grace like you ought to. We benefit from that every single day. The only way that this verse doesn't apply to you anymore as a Christian is when you stop applying it to yourself as a Christian. The second thing the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through what? Faith. Faith. Faith, faith we can start to think of as, as something that we applied at salvation and it's no longer used. We start to think of faith. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, I do want you to turn over there. Hebrews chapter 11. The Bible says in verse 1 now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. How many of y'all know that verse? Good one to know. It's a good one to know. Man, we need to be memorizing the word of God. But Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1, it says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. And so what we tend to do is we look at faith in our life and we start to think that faith is the unseen thing. Faith isn't the unseen thing. Faith is the substance. It's the evidence of the things that aren't seen. Of what's actually happened in our lives. If you look in this, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, if you don't have it marked in your Bible, it's a good thing to mark, but this chapter is often called the hall of faith. And if you look in this chapter and you start going through some of these things, it says, but uh, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed in verse 3 by the Word of God. That's Jesus Christ, by the way. We'll go over that later tonight. So the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And then look at this, it says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. By faith Enoch was translated in verse 5 that he should not see death and that he was not found because God hath translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. Look at verse 6. Another one to memorize. But without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. But I want you to get the point of this. In verse 7, it says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things as yet, uh, not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark. In verse 8, by faith Abraham, when he was called to go unto a place which he should after receive for inheritance, obeyed. Faith is seen. Faith was seen in Noah's life. Faith was seen in Abraham's life. He obeyed. Faith was seen in Enoch's life when he pleased God. Faith is seen. Faith is not the unseen thing. Faith is the substance. It's the evidence. Meaning people should be able to look at your life and see that you have something that they cannot see. Because all the evidence of your life points to it. They should be able to look at you and go, yep, it's Colonel Mustard with the candlestick in the library. How do you know? I see the evidence. I can see how you live your life. I can see what you do with your time. I can see how you interact with people, where you spend your money, where you spend your time. I can see what's not in your life. That's a big one. Quit being scared of stuff like that. As Christians, there are things we should be and shouldn't be. Things we should do, things we should not do. Quit making apologies for it. I can, I can see your humility. I can see that you care. We don't need to go around judging people's salvation, of course, but, but we also don't need to give people the question. The Bible says, for, uh, by, by their works you shall know them. By their works you shall know them. People don't like that verse because that means people are looking. You really only don't like that verse when you don't want people looking at you. It means people are looking. We don't need to go around looking and trying to judge people's salvation. But we also don't need to give people the question about ourselves. Faith produces something. It produces something in our life. It, it, over in James, it's a book over in the Bible, but James chapter 2, verse 20 says, Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. And in verse 18, uh, James is explaining it. He said, uh, sh- I'll show you my faith. Uh, show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. Works don't save us. We, we're, in that, we're in those verses right now. Right. Works don't save us. For by grace you is saved through faith, not of works. Lest any man should boast, faith, the works don't save us. But what James is saying is that our our faith, it does produce something in our lives. Faith is to be seen. Your faith is the evidence of what's taken place in your heart. The problem is is we see faith as something that we checked off when we got saved. Colossians 1, 21-23 says, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy, unblameable, unprovable in his sight, if ye continue in the faith, if ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, He's saying continue in the faith, grounded and settled in it. Because faith is something that we have to continue in. Man, you could be here this morning and say, I know I'm not grounded and settled. I know I'm not. Something's changed in me. I am not where I was. I am not grounded in the faith. I am not settled in the faith. You're not continuing in it. The Bible never says that you are always going to feel the way you ought to feel. But it does say that you need to continue in that faith. Continue in that faith. Faith is things that need to be seen. Number three. Back in Ephesians 2. For by grace you saved through faith. And not of yourselves. It is the what? It's the gift. Salvation is a gift. Salvation is a gift. And we need to be reminded of that so often that salvation is a gift. Salvation is so much more than just having it. Yeah. If that's all salvation is to you, is just something you have. Man, you are missing it. I'm willing to bet, but I won't bet, that some of you have some things that you never use that are in risk of being thrown out. Some of you open some Christmas presents and go, oh, cool, something I can throw out later. That happened to anybody? Don't raise your hand. I upset my wife by doing that earlier, so don't do that. But there's a big clear out usually after Christmas. It's called decluttering. It's called decluttering. Uh, Becca did that on Thursday. Yep, Thursday. I came home from the church, and I, I stepped into the house, and there was, go- there was how many garbage bags? Eight. Eight. I didn't even know we had eight garbage bags worth of stuff. And then I can't look through them because I know she threw away stuff that was still good. That's happened many times before. But there's a big clear out after Christmas. It's called decluttering, and it feels good. It feels good to declutter and throw out all those things that, that we just don't use anymore. I, I don't feel like this is useful and, and to me anymore, so you throw it out. You look at it for another year, and then you throw it out. You know it's not useful to you, and you know you're never going to use it, but you still stick it on the shelf for at least two more years and then throw it away way after you should have. <laughs> I know by, I, I, I would never do that. That's just wrong. But we do that. The new is worn off, and the things are not as exciting as they used to be. I don't don't have the passion for that thing anymore. I don't have the fire. You can say that in your Christian life, can't you? I don't have the fire anymore. If that's the case, I can guarantee it's not because you're not using it. It's it's because you're not using it anymore. And if you don't have the fire from salvation, we, 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 we mark salvation as something that we checked off the box and we stop using the gift that God has given us. And when we stop using those gifts, we lose interest in them. Man, if you feel like, I don't have the fire that I once had, I can guarantee it's because you're not using the gift that you already have. When you stop using it, you lose that excitement. You've hung it in the closet and stopped using it. Man, you want some excitement in your life? I'm sweating down to here. I can't take my coat off. I'm excited. It's wonderful. You want some excitement? Go tell somebody about Jesus. They say on a scale scientifically somehow or not, I don't even know how it really works. But you know that nervousness that you feel? That that and excitement can't be distinguished from each other. It's just excitement. It's just excitement. Go tell somebody about Jesus. You want some excitement in your life? Go tell somebody about God. It'll perk you up pretty fast. I guarantee it. Man, invite somebody to church and watch them get what you already have. Woo! You want fire? Look at that. Salvation is a gift. But it's not just a gift for the lost. It's a gift we have. And it only loses its value to us when we stop using the gift that was given. And lastly, the Bible says it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And works didn't have the power to save you. And they don't have the power to keep you. But that's not to say that they're not valuable. It's not to say that they're not valuable. We devalue works sometimes because of these verses. See, works don't get me to heaven. Works is not part of my salvation, but works is still part of the plan. Not your salvation, but it's still part of the plan. We forget about that very next verse that we do need to memorize too. For by grace he is saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. We devalue works sometimes because of those verses. They have no value in our salvation, but they do have value to God. It does say that we are his workmanship. And God has chosen us, which amazes me every single day. That God has chosen us to do anything. Because if you look at that grace, if you understand that grace for what it is, you know what you are when you look in the mirror. It's amazing (laughs) that God can use us. It's amazing that he's chosen to use us. We are his workmanship. He's chosen us to preach. He's chosen us to teach, evangelize, help, guide, bear one another's burden to help the hurting. See, I don't feel like I'm accomplishing anything for God. I don't feel like I'm useful here at church. I don't feel like this is worth anything at all. If you don't feel like you're accomplishing anything, If you're going to get offended again, close your ears. Okay, now you can't get offended. Maybe you're not doing anything. If you feel like you're not accomplishing anything for God, maybe it's because you're not doing anything. There doesn't have to be some spiritual, mystical reason behind every single thing that you're going through. Sometimes it's just you. Sometimes it's just you. And you're not doing anything for him. And you don't need a title or a Sunday school class to tell somebody about Jesus. You don't need a title. You don't need a Sunday school class. You don't need any of that stuff to tell somebody about Jesus. Man, works don't save you, but they sure can be a big part in helping somebody else come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. If works can't save you, and we know we're not supposed to boast in any kind of those works. Just so you know, there will be no one in heaven that says, I got here myself. Works cannot save us. So don't boast in them now. The other side of it is we can get so busy working for the Lord that we think that that replaces the relationship with him. Amen. We can get so busy doing stuff for God that we think it excuses us from a relationship with him. Don't boast now. Man, I've memorized these verses and this is in conclusion i've memorized these verses and you could say they don't mean what they used to to me they don't mean what they used to to me <laughs> and to that i say what's that really overprocessed deli meat bologna that's what it is bologna it's bologna they don't mean what they used to to you cuz you stopped applying them to you They don't mean what they used to because you stopped applying them to you. Man, as we approach the new year, man, there's goals all over the place. We'll talk about some goals tonight. But anytime we're facing something like that, it's good for us to evaluate where we are in our standing and in our relationship with God. It's a good time for us to take inventory. Of the grace that we have, Amen. of the gift that he gave, and what we're doing for the Lord that saved us. We are his workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Man, maybe we just need to get busy for the Lord and do something for him. Let's go ahead and close our eyes, bow your head. Being in an attitude, a of spirit, of prayer this morning, there, there's a question. There's a statement in a question. I'll put it that way. Number one, the statement is this. Those verses, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, may not be written to the unsaved, but they are sure applicable to the unsaved. And if you are not saved here this morning, you need to get saved. This morning, today's the day. What are you waiting for? There's nothing that you can do that's going to get you there anyway. It's already been done. So this morning, if you're not saved, come down to the altar this morning. Get my attention. We'll show you in the word of God. I can have somebody show you how to be saved, how to know for sure you're going to heaven when you die. But salvation is even more than heaven. It's a relationship with God. And you can have it this morning. So here's the question. Are there areas in your life that you have stopped applying God's truth to? Be honest with yourselves. I was praying this morning, man, God, get the walls down so you can have access to your people this morning. Let the walls down. Is there an area in your life this morning that you have stopped applying God's truth to? And you can feel discontentment in your in your in your Christian walk. Maybe that fire is not as, as burning bright as it used to. But what it comes down to is we're not stoking it like we used to. I'm not grounded and rooted in faith. Like I once was. I could feel myself being pulled away. This morning, apply what you already applied.
1: If the Lord has talked to you,